I am part of a group at the University of Auckland called the Centre for Automation and Robotics Engineering Science. And we have the goal that we're going to take robots out of the labs and get them into society where they can help people, not take over the world quite yet. And one of the areas that we work in is around healthcare. Uh, we have the idea that we can take robots, put them into a hospital or a retirement village, and that the robots will be there to help people. That's our grand vision anyway. We haven't quite succeeded in it yet. Um, I'm going to give you a couple of examples of where robots have been useful and what we can learn from those examples, and then a couple of examples where the robots have failed. Because believe it or not, they've probably failed more often than they've succeeded. Um, but first, well, one of the areas that they use robots for is a surgical robot. It's a robot that can operate on a person and do certain classes of operations. Um, I don't know if you've seen much about robots in movies or in television or read them in books. I, I remember as a kid growing up and we had Star Wars and we had the medical droid that came along and helped uh, Luke Skywalker after he lost his hand. Um, and so that was sort of always a picture of robots, what robots could do. Well, unfortunately, the robots that we see in real life don't look anything like that. They kind of look like a spider that's had half its legs pulled off. They have multiple arms that they can basically use on the person to perform the surgery. Now, these robots are actually very good. They can do certain surgeries that a human is not able to do. But the key for these robots is they are very specialized in what they do. They only do certain types of surgery. Um, for example, they'll do keyhole surgery, where they will make a small incision in a person and then go inside and do their operation. If you were to ask this robot to go and do, say, open heart surgery, the robot would just go, uh-uh, I ain't going to do that. Well, in fact, it can't even talk to you, so it's not going to be even that good. So the robot is good at its task because it is a specialist at its task. It does one thing and one thing only. Beyond that, the robot can't do anything. It's absolutely hopeless. Um, another example of a medical robot out there is a phlebotomy robot. So a phlebotomist is a person who literally sticks a needle into you and draws blood out. Um, at the same time, seeing what they can do and how easy they make it appear is kind of a bit awe-inspiring. But at the same time, phlebotomists also have a challenge with certain demographics in the population. If you are somebody with small veins, say an older person or a child, they often have trouble trying to find the veins. If you're somebody with darker skin, again, they have problems trying to find the veins. So they've come up with this brilliant idea that we can have a phlebotomist robot that will use infrared sensors that will detect exactly where the veins are on you. Doesn't matter what color the skin is, doesn't matter how big or small they are, it will go in, stick the needle in, no problems. The success rate of these robots is far higher than even your most skilled phlebotomist. So imagine you have a problem child come in who needs a needle stuck in them, you could have a robot coming to do this instead. And the robot will be much better at it. 
Another advantage of the robot, the robot never gets tired. You can put it on a 12-hour shift, and it's not going to complain saying, hey, my time's up, I need to go home and rest. It will just keep sticking needles in people. They don't get bored, they don't get tired, they don't get angry. But again, this robot is a specialized robot. It does one thing, and one thing only. And it's very good at it. So hopefully you're starting to get a little bit of a taste of when a robot is good. It's good because it is a specialist at its task. And it does that one task and that one task only. Now I'm going to give you a little bit of a slightly different example. Overseas, they have robots actually going into hospitals and helping children. When they first started using robots, they were worried that the robot wouldn't actually be very good at distracting the children. So they did a study where they were giving a vaccination to children. And there was a child who was in the control group. So this is the child who didn't have the robot to distract him. The nurse came in with the needle. The child took one look at him and started throwing a tantrum, yelling, screaming. The mum tried to hold him down, and the child kicked and kicked. And they just couldn't do the vaccination at all. The child absolutely refused. So they had to leave. Um, but the mother found out that there was actually the robot there. And so she contacted the researchers and said, look, we were part of your control group. We couldn't do the vaccination. Could we maybe try again with the robot and see if it makes any difference? So after the study, they had the child come in and sat down in front of the robot. And the child was fascinated by the robot. Now, at this time, the robot was doing just a very simple task. It had a little toy that it held up, showed it to the child, and talked about it. And then at the time when the needle went into the child, it asked the child to blow onto the toy. The child didn't even notice the nurse come in with the needle. He cried a little bit when the needle was stuck in. As you could imagine, he was a wee bit upset at that. And then he went back to focus on the robot again. So this was a child who, using a standard approach with, um, I believe they were doing play intervention at the time, they were not able to vaccinate. But with the robot, the child was just completely focused on this robot and was able to do something that, that ordinarily he would not allow. So we see it could be acting as a wonderful distraction. So because of that, They've now got these robots throughout lots of hospitals in the US and Canada, and the robots are basically there as part of their toolkit for working with children. And the way that they actually work is the robots are not autonomous. They don't do whatever they want. Instead, the nurse basically has like a cell phone where they control the robot and they get the robot to do certain things at, at different times. Like it might tell a story or give a little bit of a dance or do something else that distracts the child. And they've found they're able to do more things with these robots there to distract the children. They don't use it all the time. It's generally best if the children hasn't worked with the robot before. It's new, it's novel, it's exciting to them. So in this case, the robot is of benefit because it's something different. It helps distract them from the problems the child might have. It's not something that's fully interactive, it's something that's controlled by somebody else. And this is actually the same for the surgical robots. 
They are actually remote controlled. They're not an autonomous robot that's working. But again, they are controlled and they're able to do things that um, a human ordinarily wouldn't be able to do. Now, it's not to say surgical robots are perfect. They actually discovered there's a couple of problems with surgical robots. The problem's not actually with the robot, though. They need to train a surgeon to use the surgical robot. And that's where the problem comes in. The younger surgeons are having problems using these robots because they don't have the hands-on experience with a real patient before they started using surgical robots. The other problem they have is because the robots are doing tasks that the senior doctors might be stopping doing for various reasons, now the senior doctor can continue to do those surgery, the younger doctors are not getting the same experience at an earlier stage. And so they're missing out on some of this valuable coaching that the senior doctors might have given them. So while a surgical robot might sound like a good idea, it's actually a bit of a mixed bag in there. Now carrying on with my bad examples, We've been trying to build a healthcare robot to help older people stay in home. Because as soon as an older person moves into a retirement village or a rest home, their life expectancy goes down. So we have this robot where it will help a person remember what to do their um, activities of daily living. At least that's the plan for it. It works okay in the lab. We've shown it to people, and they say, yeah, yeah, brilliant idea. Can it also do this, 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 and this? But the problem is, as soon as we start moving these robots into a real person's home, without having an assistant sitting in the corner actually controlling the robot, we run into problems. To give you an example, the older person needs to take their pills at 6 o'clock. So the robot needs to leave their charging station, because the batteries won't last forever, find the person and tell them that it's time for them to take their pill. Sounds an easy enough task? Well, how does the robot actually find the person? Hmm. Now, probably the person has a standard place they might go sit at various times. Six o'clock, it's the news. So we would learn, we always go to the couch in front of the television first. You'd need to build that into the robot's program so it always goes there first. Uh, what if the person's not in that chair? What does the robot do then? Okay, think about what we might do. We might uh, call out, or we might go check the toilet to see if the person's there. You know, common sense things. A robot doesn't have common sense. The robot will just stand in front of the couch waiting for the person to return. And if the person doesn't return, do you know what the robot will do? It will remind the couch to take their pills. So the robot's a wee bit limited because it can only do what its programmer has thought of doing. If the programmer didn't think, look, the person's not going to be at a standard place, the robot is not going to do anything extra. Now I'm going to give you another example. The robot needs to move around the place. Uh, I've seen this gentleman going up and down the stairs while I'm talking. That's actually a very, very hard task for a robot to do. Now imagine you have the grandchildren coming to visit. 
Could you imagine the robot busily walking along and suddenly it enters the minefield of Lego? What's going to happen to our robot? Probably, best case, the robot will just get stuck. Worst case, meh. Time to get a new robot. So robots for healthcare are very good for specialized conditions or they are good in laboratory conditions. As soon as you move them into the real world, with all the messiness and the chaos that's out there, they can't handle it. Now I'm going to give you another example. They have the idea that we can use robots as teachers. Uh, part of the problem is, you might have heard, we don't have enough teachers for all our children. So why don't we get some robots that can actually start to teach the children and give them a few important skills and knowledge that they might need to know. Sound a perfect scenario? Yes, robots can teach children. They have robots in a laboratory that the child will come in and interact with the robot and it could say, learn English. Uh, robots are very popular over in South Korea and Japan. So they think, oh, we can get the robot to teach the children English. Or it could work with children who have autism. Autistic children sometimes have problems expressing emotions. Robots don't have emotions, so therefore they're probably a good match for each other. And there's a lot of research that say they actually do work. Now, here's the catch. First, it's in a laboratory. It's a controlled environment. You have one robot, one child, and often one or more researchers sitting in the corner ready to jump up straight away if something goes wrong. It's new, it's novel, it's exciting to the child. They're really paying attention to it. But as soon as the child starts getting used to the robot, it's like, oh, what if I start you know, pulling the robot a wee bit? What's the robot going to do? Well, it's just going to stick to its standard program. If the child misbehaves, uh, the, well, the robot's not going to care. It's just going to keep teaching English, if that's its job. The second thing is, the robot's only work with one child. So if we start having robots, they're going to have to start dealing with multiple children. But robots don't have the same social dynamics that we do. They just have a program, a script that they follow. And if you move off that script, even by the smallest deviation, the robot can't handle it. So what are robots good at? Robots have no emotions, no feelings. They don't get bored. We could ask the robot to do the same thing 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It will not stop doing it. Its performance will not degrade. Robots are good at specialized tasks. They can do a task far better than we ever can assuming it's a task that the robot can do in the first place. But they can't generalize from that task. If you were to ask your English teaching robot to move and teach uh, mathematics, uh -uh, can't do that, sorry. It will only teach them English. So there are specialists who are good at doing tasks that are boring, repetitive, and have fixed rules around doing them. Now this is just talking about from the, the soft side of robotics. 
We could talk about the hardware side. Uh, the thing that I always find funny about robots and movies, you never see them going to a charging station. So they have lots of physical limitations for them. Now, that's not to say robots aren't here and that they're not going to have a change on our society. One of the robots that we have built at the university and our consortium is a kiwi fruit picking robot. Anybody picked kiwi fruit? It's a horrible job. The kiwi fruit are up high. So you basically you've got to go all day looking up, picking these kiwi fruit. Kiwi fruit growers have a hard time finding enough people to go and pick the kiwi fruit for them. So we have a robot that will go and literally pick the kiwi fruit. And it will get a 80-90% success rate. So it's not too bad, thinking about it. Um, so we can pretty much get these robots to go through. They'll pick the kiwi fruit as long as their battery is working. So they'll function daytime, nighttime. They have a little bit of problems in the rain. But I think you'll agree that even humans don't like picking kiwi fruit in the rain. So it gives a lot of benefits for your kiwi fruit growers to have one of these robots working in the orchards. And then what they can do is get some humans to come through and pick the 10, 15%, 20% that a robot can't get to. So it's, it's a win-win situation for both parties here. My wife is an accountant. She juggles numbers all day. Don't ask me how she does it. I, I don't really like numbers. But she describes her job as having two parts. The part that she hates. She has to go through a um, bank statement and match up every single number on there to the correct account in the books. It's really boring. It's really repetitive. It's got set rules for it. And that's something that a robot is really good at doing. You put a robot in front of a sheet like that, it will process it in seconds. Now, the part of the job that my wife likes is sort of the more creative side around accounting. How can we take the numbers that we have and make it so that they don't have to pay more tax than they need to? You know, it's a little bit beyond just the standard matching up things. We have to think a little bit creatively in there. A robot's horrible at that. You just plug all the numbers in, the robot say, this is the tax you have to pay. And a human would look at that and say, well, actually, that number could no more go in there, and that number over there, and that means you don't have to pay as much tax in there. So it's sort of the more thinking side, using our brains in there. So moving forward, what we're more likely to see is we're not going to go back from having robots. Robots are going to get better. They're going to do more tasks that we think aren't possible. But over time, we're going to see more collaborations between robots and people. Robots will start taking over all the really boring tasks. Does anybody know what the most commercially successful robot is for a home? Perfect. Vacuum cleaners. The number one selling domestic robot is a vacuum cleaner robot. But guess how many tasks a vacuum cleaning robot can do? One task, vacuum. I mean, there's lots of subtasks related with that. It knows how to make its way round. It knows how to detect dust. It knows how to get back to its charging station. 
But all those are subtasks to its main task of vacuum. If you have children and they like leaving Lego all over the place, you're going to get very good at opening up these vacuum cleaning robots and pulling out Lego. Because the robot won't realize that the Lego should not be vacuumed. It's just something on the ground. Let's pick it up and vacuum it. We now have lawnmower robots. We have pool cleaning robots. But they're specialized. They are great at doing their tasks. The other category that I mentioned was the collaborative robots. So the healthcare robot, where the robot goes into a hospital and works with a child. You have the nurse to direct the robot on what to do. And then the robot then does its task within the context of what the person tells it to. If it moves outside what the robot's expecting, the human then goes and corrects the robot so it does something that it's more supposed to do. Beyond that, if the child throws a tantrum in there, we take the robot out of the picture and then the parents come in and do their task instead. Now what does that mean for us moving forward? Are we going to see a decrease in the number of jobs? I would argue we're not going to see less jobs than we have now. Think about how technology has changed our society. When I was a child, when I went into a bank, I had a little book. And I'd go up to the teller, take my money and say, I want you to add this money to my bank account. The teller would then find the matching book on their side, write down the value in their book, write down the value in my book, and say, you're good to go. So we had lots of bank tellers whose job were just manually doing these transactions. Fast forward a few years, and my first job was at a bank, and I programmed automatic teller machines. You no longer needed to go see a human. You just put your piece of plastic into the machine, and then the machine would tell you how much money you had. There was a bit of worry at the time, because they thought the banks were going to get rid of their staff. You know, you don't need as many tellers to actually do all the work because these machines would do them for you. Fast forward another 20 years, bank staff numbers have gone up. There are more staff working for the bank than there were in the days when they did manual transactions. Why? They transferred the staff from doing these boring, monotonous, repetitive tasks to doing the tasks that bring in the money for the bank. So that's what's going to happen with robots. The robots are going to start taking over the tasks that we, as people, don't like to do. They will take over the tasks, and they will free up our time for doing things that give benefits to our work, our society, our families. So for example, if you have a vacuum cleaner robot, guess how many hours you spend vacuuming a week now? So that's the example of a benefit that robots will bring to us. Will they completely take our jobs? Only if you have a job that's very repetitive and looking more at the low-skilled end of the market. That's not saying that these jobs are going to go away. We're going to need people to do things working with the robots. These people will move into areas where there's now more value for the company. There is going to be changes in our society because 
at the moment, some of these people don't do the other jobs because they don't have the skills or the ability to do them. This is an opportunity for us as a society to see how can we change what we're doing to help people work together with robots. And that will benefit us as a society and then the individual people who are working with them. So hopefully this is giving you a little bit of a, we do have a positive future out there. We're not going to see Terminators strolling across the landscape trying to kill us all. I mean, apart from the fact I never see them charging at any point. But we're going to be working together with robots, and that's going to improve our society in many different ways.